0: Christy Couture is a certified social media strategist who is a speaker and trainer certified by the National Institute for Social Media. Her business, React Republic, is based in El Paso, uh, and she's been recognized as a social media shining star by the city of El Paso. Uh, Before we talk about all things digital marketing, Mm -hmm. Christy, um, let's welcome you to the Square Peg podcast. Thank you for being my guest here today.
1: Oh, well, you're welcome, and I feel very welcome (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad we're able to do this um big weekend plans uh, anything going on in El Paso that you've helped uh, advertise for
1: Oh my gosh, this weekend, I am hunkered down in my office and I'm working on a website. I wish I could say that there's something amazing happening this weekend that I know a whole lot about, but most of the folks that I work with, they schedule ahead of time, so I could tell you that next week i've got the vado uh monster truck. Nitro must monster trucks coming into the speedway
0: at the Vado um, Speedway. Yes. Wow, I didn't know that they. I didn't know that it was big enough to accommodate.
1: Yes. So they've got a few. Um, they're special monster trucks. They're not the ones that you might see with the official monster trucks. Not sport. the full
0: size ones that would probably require a full stage I, I know the Sun Bowl hosts that.
1: Right, and that was another one of my clients too, uh, about a month back, uh, and that was really fun to go to. So. Yet another niche that I don't—I didn't realize that I would get into is monster trucks. But yeah, next week there's a really great event happening.
0: Well, that is awesome. Now you are from Segundo Barrio, yeah. which is a very—I don't want to say famous, but historic neighborhood mm-hmm. in El Paso. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have a long family history in El Paso. My mother's from El Paso. Uh, my grandmother's family arrived there probably uh, 1880s. Wow. Um, but my mother uh, has not lived there since 1960. My grandparents oh. moved in the mid 80s, but. You know, here I come down to the Southwest. In any case, uh, given my long history with El Paso, and I, I was just down there the other day doing mm-hmm. some work. Um, I don't actually don't know much about the Segundo Barrio, other than the fact that it's very historic and very well, mm. uh, well known, for my listeners and and for me. Mm-hmm. What what's the story? What what is Segundo Barrio, and why is it such a big uh, and special part of of El Paso?
1: Well, it's special in a lot of different ways. There's negative and there's positive. The negative side of it, which we People who have grown up in Segundo Barrio, I would say, have always turned it into a positive. They're always prideful of coming from there because it is a very impoverished uh, neighborhood. It's one of the poorest zip codes in the United States. Um, and at the same time, and back in the early 90s, I would say, it was there were a lot of crime. It's right next to the border. I mean, feet away from the border. So I know that when I was growing up, there were a lot of times that, You know, dozens of immigrants would just come over, just walk literally through, you know, the dry part of the river and that's it. You know, now there's a a wall there. There wasn't a wall there when I was a little girl. And, um, you know, Border Patrol back then, it was INS, you know, would definitely um, drive around, you know, brandish their guns, yell at migrants, things like that. And that's stuff that I would see when I was really, really little Um. But the reason why I think a lot of people are, like like myself are really prideful about coming from Segundo is that, um, you know, they're very humble beginnings, but they also prime you to want more for yourself, but never forget where you're from.
0: Now, you had uh, a pretty challenging, if, if you will, uh, growing up period. Mm-hmm. You had experienced some things that nobody really wants to experience you. I think you mentioned being in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your growing up and what, what family was like. I mean, did you, you obviously have some sort of family? What was the structure? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. Well, you know, it wasn't until maybe this year that I really started embracing it and kind of talking about um, my up- upbringing, uh professionally, because it's always something that I kind of wanted to hide, you know? Um, When my grandmother passed away, I was nine years old, and I grew up with her exclusively. Uh, My mother really wasn't, my biological mother wasn't really what I would say, you know, a a good mother figure. And uh, so I was, you know, there was a lot of physical abuse in the home. And so very early on, uh, luckily, I had, you know, guardian angels out there for me in the in the form of like neighbors, teachers, you know, people who would see me, you know, with bruises or cuts on my face or whatever the case was. And, um, so CPS got involved very early on and uh, I started out living in facilities in El Paso uh, and then eventually, you know, moved to into the New Mexico side of things. And uh, some of the facilities, unfortunately, don't exist anymore. Um, you know, over the years, I had a lot of really great memories there. But I would say last time I put it all, all the counts together, I, I grew up in 14 different places, 14 different foster homes. Eventually I was uh, emancipated when I was 16 here in Las Cruces uh, oh, wow. was my emancipation um, and uh, life got a lot better after that. Honestly, you know,
0: Now I find that very interesting that you mentioned child protective services. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know what I do for a living? I'm a detective here locally and a lot of the cases I work do involve children uh, mm. as victims. And now I know in New Mexico, Uh, it's actually not Child Protective Services who can sign the paper to remove a child from my home and place them in a foster kid's law enforcement. So Mm -hmm. I'm the one who does that. Is that similar in Texas?
1: No. So I would say that the experience that I had between Texas CPS and then the New Mexico system is that, especially when I was 10, 11 CPS didn't want to believe me in Texas, uh, which really, really sucked and it was really, really bad for me because I ended up just continuing being in the system. But in New Mexico, what helped me was that I was uh running away from home is a misdemeanor. Having a switchblade is a misdemeanor, or at least was. Maybe it's not anymore. Um, but because it was a misdemeanor, I was automatically placed in the system. I had a um a public defender. And I had a probation officer. And those two people were super instrumental in helping me get em- emancipated and helping put me in the right facilities that they felt were a good fit for me.
0: Well, it obviously worked out well for mm-hmm. you. Now, just to get an idea of, you know, I'm I'm almost 50 years old. Mm-hmm. So when I was growing up, there was no obviously no social media. How old are you?
1: Right now, I'm 36.
0: Okay, so you probably as a teenager had... Social media?
1: No, actually. So uh, social media started becoming more of a thing, I would say, in 2011, well, 2010. No, 2010. I think that's when Twitter really started taking off. And then little by little, you know, Facebook started catching up and all of that. So I'm glad that when all of this stuff happened to me, social media didn't exist. To the detriment of, like, I don't have photos from a lot, large swathes of time. Um, And then once, you know, 2009, 2010, 2011, all of those years started coming up and social media started becoming a thing. You know, cell phones started becoming a little little more prevalent. Now I have photos that, you know, I can look back on. I'm just
0: trying to figure out, you know it's going to be interesting in the next couple of decades to see mm-hmm. people who have actually grown up in the digital age
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and how they use social media and, and all the different ways that they do. Of course, you use it for marketing purposes. Mm-hmm. Now, I, a term that I don't hear as often uh, as we used to is you're, you are or you were a blogger. Mm-hmm. Um, if Correct me if I'm wrong, blog, blogging became a thing before social media? Oh, yeah. Okay, so what did you blog about?
1: So... Okay, so now you know my background, how I grew up, and I, I feel that it's instrumental to understand that because I longed for connection, okay? Um, even though I grew up in so many different places, it, it almost feels, and I still feel that, it's like I kind of grew up in, under a rock. I didn't grow up with, uh, when you grow up in facilities like that, you don't go to public school. You have like modulized learning, like you complete an X number of amount of workbooks and congratulations, you've completed seventh grade or eighth grade or whatever, And so I wasn't really socialized in a way that most people are. And so I decided to start blogging because I wanted to make friends. I wanted to connect with other people. I wanted to um, just see if I could find a community online that resonated with me. And in turn, you know, I would be able to kind of grow my network since I had no idea how to do it in a normal fashion
0: we're we talking probably a dozen or so years ago is when you were blogging.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Now you moved to Clovis for some time. What did yes. you do there?
1: So shortly after I got emancipated, um, and actually the way that I got emancipated was that my boyfriend at the time, he was 18. I was 16. So legally speaking, they gave custody to my boyfriend. Um, Two years later, I got pregnant uh, and I had my son who's now 18 and he's graduating uh, and going to UTEP, which is going to be amazing. Um, but um, I'm sorry. can you? We were talking the- about
0: you living in Clovis.
1: Yes. So that's why we moved to Clovis. Okay. I got pregnant and my partner, he, his family lives in Clovis. Okay. So they're very into the, I guess, the cattle <laughs> industry. Okay. They're all involved with the cattle industry. And so um, he felt kind of lonely. And he's like, you know what, you know, let's move to Clovis. There's a university there. It's ENMU. You could, you know, transfer your college credits over there, you know, and I did. I moved to to Clovis. Um, I didn't want to originally, but I wanted to do what was, I felt a good decision for me, my child and our family to kind of stick together and grow and, and all of that, Um I enjoy technology quite a bit, and so I right away got a job with a technology company up there called SEI. Um, and the pay in Clovis is really, really great. Maybe because they want to attract and keep right. people there. Um, but not not
0: exactly a high like a destination for a lot of people.
1: No, not at all. And so uh, after four years of living there, I. Had had enough, and of course, when you start a relationship so young, you know you end up kind of growing apart, becoming different people, and so we separated. I came back to El Paso. Um, I was, it was a choice at that point that you know I was even I was between going to Taos, New Mexico, or going to El Paso, and because it didn't matter where I was gonna go, I didn't have family, I didn't have friends i didn't have anybody to go to so it's whether like do i want to have this adventurous life in taos which is very expensive of course
0: i can imagine well,
1: you know or do i want to kind of go back to fam- familiarity and you know maybe relive some some memories that some good memories that i had growing up in el paso
0: now you when you did go back to el paso in 2012 mm-hmm. you started working for what's called visit el paso i'm gonna go out on a limb and say mm-hmm. it's probably like the las cruces convention and visitors bureau almost like a, a what do you call what's the word I'm looking for a chamber of commerce or uh, trying to bring businesses and events to El Paso.
1: Exactly. So visit El Paso is a, I don't want to get too technical and too boring here, but uh, visit El Paso is a branch of destination El Paso destination. El Paso is, um, Uh, a destination marketing organization uh, and they're also an event marketing organization that's El Paso Live that's the other branch of Destination El Paso and so at the time those branches weren't very well defined and so I did social media for everything for Visit El Paso and for El Paso Live
0: (laughs) now of course uh, you know we talked a little bit before we got started because of what you were doing for Visit El Paso that's probably how uh, you Maybe not at the time, but doing that type of work is how you get a, introduced to my friend and a, for, a former guest on the show, Eddie Morelos, mm-hmm. who is the media director for the uh, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl yeah. or the Sun Bowl Association. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, you do you have a social media? You are a social media strategist, mm-hmm. certified as an instructor through the National Institute for Social Media. Mm-hmm. Didn't know something like that existed. <laughs> But can you talk about the training and what it entails and how how you actually apply for the certification?
1: Sure. Well, um, as I've explained my whole, you know, life story leading up to visit El Paso, I didn't end up getting I did not end up getting my uh, college degree. So I was looking for ways to raise my not only my formal education, but also um, giving myself some clout, you know, because I. Even though I loved working at Destination El Paso, I expected that, you know, obviously you want your career to grow. And I knew that at Visit El Paso at the time, there was no space for me to grow. Um, So I wanted to do uh, whatever I could to increase my knowledge and uh, maybe even get connected with other companies that were looking for social media strategists. Uh, So I did some research. I found NISM. um, And interestingly enough, they were offering a scholarship at the time. And so I applied for the scholarship uh, with NISM and I got it and I got the certification. It's what I love about NISM is that it's a whole it's it's a whole organized process from strategy to measurement to everything in between um, that teaches you how to actually put together a social media strategy. The detriment of NISM is they they don't necessarily teach the hands-on process, like how to run a Facebook ad or how to actually create content, how to create a reel, things like that. Those are all things that I was still left on my own to to do, and I've done. Um, But yes, it is an application process. If you're interested in finding out about NISM now, you can go to nismonline.org and look at the requirements. Usually you've got to have at least two years of college education, which I did, um, or some experience in managing social media accounts so that you know what you're getting into before you start, you know, from scratch. No, is there a physical
0: camp physical campus or is this all on online training?
1: It's online training, but um there are different instructors around the United States who do um in person training. I know I did some sessions in El Paso. I've done two so far. Um and they were really fun to do. Uh the school itself, I know, is in Minnesota. They do slash don't have a physical presence. They have partnered up with a couple of universities up there where you can, let's say that you're taking a marketing course or you're you're going for a marketing degree, the NISM curriculum has been folded into those universities' commu- uh, uh, degree plans.
0: Okay, so it's around that same time in 2012, you actually volunteered – uh, to work for the campaign for for Beto O'Rourke, mm-hmm. who uh, later on in 2020, we know he ran uh, unsuccessfully uh, for governor mm-hmm. of Texas before, like, in 2016 or 2018, he ran against Ted Cruz. But he was a, a House of Representatives, a mm-hmm. uh, congressman from, from one of El Paso's districts. Mm-hmm. What did you do? What kind of work did you do for him in 2012? So
1: if we could take a step back before visit El Paso, um, I moved to El Paso not having a job that I could ease into. Right. And so I came from the place and some people will disagree with me, but I came from a place where like, well, unfortunately, I'm going to have to do a lot of free work in order to get exposure in order to meet the right people. And I knew that. So I started writing for El Paso Times. I started writing for a magazine called Fusion Magazine. I started writing for the Inc. I started writing wherever I could, because at the time, remember, I used to blog quite a bit. Writing was one of my strong points. Now, not so much. I, I wouldn't say that I've I've done any quality writing anytime recently, but um, I got a lot of attention. And I one of the things that I was talented at doing at the time was being able to contact people that seem inaccessible and getting access to them without having ever met them before. Um, one of the other interviews that I had gotten was with Paul Foster. Um, never met the guy before. And right when I was going to do the interview with him, I got so nervous because I just the enormity of understanding who I was going to interview at the time just kind of hit me. The best part of working with so that's how I worked with um, Beto O'Rourke. I just reached out to his office. I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm writing an article for Fusion magazine. Um, You know, he's a a uh, he's a city councilman at the time. And he's running for Congress. You know, we just want to kind of understand who he is, you know, do a, do a piece on him. And, you know, we hit it off really well. And from there, I was like, you know what, I really like this guy. Um, I'm going to volunteer for his uh, campaign. And I would volunteer in different uh, ways. And then eventually, I started putting together, like, some of his social posts, some of his events, things like that. I started to get more and more involved with the campaign. And he was very instrumental in actually landing me that job at Visit El Paso. He wrote a letter of recommendation when he had already been elected to Congress. And I was basically a shoo-in at that point. Um, I remember having my interview with Visit El Paso. And to my own merit, I did work very hard to get that interview with Visit El Paso. I even put together a case study on, you know, how the city's being marketed at that time, what could be done better. But the reference letter is kind of what really pushed the needle for me. Um, and uh, and so that's the sequence of how I first started working with Beto O'Rourke, and then I started working with Visit El Paso.
0: No, your business, React Republic, mm-hmm. um, your digital marketing company, mm-hmm. you actually worked for the 2020 Beto O'Rourke campaign.
1: I did. I did a couple of different campaigns, uh, and this was a long time ago. What did I do, if I can recall? I did some photos. I did photos at the events. I know I put together a event uh, downtown where we had different musicians and artists sort of come together and try to do a fundraiser uh, for his campaign. Um, So it was just here and there. I wasn't fully involved and invested in his campaign. But, you know, one of his campaign managers would reach out to me saying, hey, can you come and take pictures of this event? Hey, can you live post for this? Hey, can you help us with this event? And maybe um, put together a couple of talents. So that's how I... Okay,
0: so you, were you not involved in, in actually a, a social media strategy for his his campaign?
1: No, not for, no, not at that level.
0: Not at that level.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, how do you... So they approached you? Yes. Okay, so now they approached you. Do you, in the business that you're in, what are, what are the ethical considerations when you're approached by somebody? Um, are you gonna work for somebody who you don't agree with? If the, I mean, what? How does that? A business is business. Everybody needs to make a living. But then, you know, we all have our own ideologies and people we vote for. How does that all factor into whether or not you decide to to do the work? Uh, if if it's a if it's somebody running for public office.
1: Well, I feel that I'm, I feel that I'm pretty professional, and at the end of the day, it's about treating the client with respect. And treating the client like a client, I don't let my personal feelings get in the way. Um, I would say that I'm firmly in the middle. Uh, some people might say, "Ah, that's not you know, that's not good to be in the middle." I would say that I am definitely an independent, and I have worked with the El Paso Republican Party extensively. Uh, one of my biggest clients was a Republican, uh, a judge who was Republican. Um, so I've definitely worked with Democrats and Republicans alike, and. I, because of the way that I've, I've lived and the way that I grew up, I see the person and I listen to their I- ideals and it's not just because somebody is labeled as Republican or Democrat, it makes no difference to me. Now, if they're a person who has a problem with me being Hispanic or where I grew up and makes a judgment call on me based on that, then that's when there's a problem you
0: know what i mean yeah I, this so this is kind of the part where i'm i'm going to get some free advice from you because <laughs> uh you know for this show we have a facebook page and an instagram page mm-hmm. uh my my producer my outgoing producer who's who's leaving the company uh lindsay is a co admin on the facebook page mm-hmm. uh, and then i run our instagram page mm-hmm. and um basically what she does for the facebook page is she uploads the the uh, actual link to our episode through lascrucestoday.com mm-hmm. uh, and then posts it and then i do all the boosting and everything cool. Um, but as far as putting things, uh, and of course I share the episode to the show's Instagram page and of course to my, my personal as well, but in between episodes, if I'm sharing content or if I'm uploading pictures or something like that, I have a habit of sharing the same thing to both platforms, which, um, I know that, um, is very simple and very, somebody who does digital marketing like you do, mm-hmm. I understand each platform has its own demographic, that it caters to. Mm -hmm. If you are, let's say, for instance, you are, and we won't even use Beto O'Rourke, we'll use somebody running for national office or for a governor of a large state like Texas, if you will. Mm -hmm. And you are their social media strategist. You were, you were in charge of all their social media strategy Mm -hmm. for that campaign. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of give me an idea how you might use Facebook differently than Instagram and, and Snapchat and Twitter? And I I think we can all agree. Those are probably the four largest platforms. Right. Okay.
1: um, I would also say, you know, TikTok tock now. You
0: know? you're, no, you're okay. Yeah. I got kids. I know what TikTok tock is.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: don't watch TikToks. I, I watch them as an adult. I watch them two weeks later and they become <laughs> reels on Instagram. Um, but yeah, considering those five platforms, uh-huh. the five main platforms,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how would you use them differently to get out the same message?
1: Sure. Okay. Well, that's a really great question. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with you posting the same graphic or the same photo to both platforms. Nothing wrong at all with that. Um, uh, the thing is, is that Facebook, in my opinion, is if you are posting to a business account, the only way you're going to get any reach or attention on any of the, your posts is with an ad with some sort of monetary value associated with that post. Um, so if you're posting to Facebook regularly and you're posting the same thing to Instagram, to Facebook, you're more than likely going to notice that there's really no likes on your Facebook posts. But if you do boost it and it and the post is good enough as well, the content, the, the, the photo, the caption, the call to action, all that stuff, and, and you put money on top of a Facebook post, that's going to do really well. On the other side for Instagram, right now they're very, very focused on, on video. In the last couple of weeks, they've kind of reverted their decision slightly and are putting more emphasis again on, you know, photo and graphic posts, which is nice. But at the end of the day, you really want to create a video instead. So the same, let's say that you you created a graphic post that you posted to Instagram and Facebook. All right, good. And let's say that you've got that graphic on Facebook, it's doing really well, and you've added some, some, uh, some money to that post. What you want to do is you want to grab the content of that Facebook post and create a video out of it, whether it's a talking head video that it's you speaking into the camera, saying the same content that's on that post, but in video format,
0: Okay. That's, that's making sense. So if I were to, let's say I, you see me holding my cell phone right here. Mm -hmm. If I were to take a video of you talking to me right now Mm -hmm. and post it as like a sneak peek to our episode, Mm -hmm. would that be a more of a Facebook thing or in an Instagram thing?
1: Instagram for sure. Okay. And that's
0: because even though Facebook has reels, Mm -hmm. um, people don't use it for that purpose.
1: Exactly. And you know, just, I'll just say as an aside, a couple of weeks ago, maybe even a month No, I'd say a month ago, Facebook tried to get creators, um, meaning pages, to create more reels, to incentivize them to post more reels. And it didn't work. So they actually shut down that whole program. It didn't last very long. And it's interesting because, you know, they made a big hoopla about it saying, hey, we're now incentivizing you, you know, to post more reels. And nobody was posting. So they closed down the program.
0: You know, I, um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, let's say you're, you're running this, this social media campaign, Mm the social media strategy for somebody running for public office. Mm -hmm. Um, am I, am I correct in thinking that maybe you're going to use TikTok or Snapchat, um, for the issues or at least the way the content is created that is maybe geared towards younger, younger consumers. Um, Obviously, if we're talking about people who can vote, it wouldn't be people under eighteen. But um, are, are you are you going to post different content? Like I said, if it's a if it's an issue that affects young people, let's say in this in this area where we live in the borderland, um, something like DACA. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's an issue of immigration and DACA deferred, would a deferred action for what? what is,
1: Oh you're you're going to need to school me on
0: that one. Well it's it's a, the program for for people who children who were brought over by parents un, right. and entered the United States mm-hmm. undocumented. Mm-hmm. Um and there was a a a program that they could stay and basically have a path to citizenship That's or at least a path to legal status. Yes. Um let's say you were reaching out to people mm-hmm. uh um, on that issue mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. were directly who could be recipients. Mhm. Is that something that you would do across all platforms or would you choose a particular platform?
1: Here's what I would do about that. Um, A lot of social media um, needs to be A-B tested. So what I mean by that is that you're going to post one type of video and then you're going to post another type of video and then you're going to see which one does better. Um, But what I would start out with is that I would create uh, a topic or a set of topics that we would create videos about, and then I would post them to YouTube Shorts, TikTok, Instagram Reels, and Facebook Reels. I'm not too keen on Snapchat, to be honest with you. Okay. I would be if you really wanted. If if the person that I was working with really really wanted to be on Snapchat, not only would I question it, but uh, and, and really understand why they would want that to be a part of their strategy, especially that it's not that big of a player right now. But I'd also encourage that person to instead run ads solely on Snapchat if they're just dead on like, I really want to be on Snapchat. Well, then just run ads and see how those perform.
0: And And I don't really understand Snapchat too much. Believe it or not, I got on Snapchat. I have a, f- a personal Facebook and and my personal Instagram, obviously, mm-hmm. in, in addition to the the show, mm-hmm. the show's pages. But I got on Snapchat last summer and I stayed on for about four months solely. And for me, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm in my fiftieth trip around the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was solely for the purpose of learning that platform because mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. when I do investigations mm-hmm. that involve kids using that, uh, there's a lot of exploitation and mm-hmm. a lot of. Um, uh, blackmail and extortion uh, mm-hmm. that goes on mm-hmm. using social media apps. So I actually used it for four months just to learn how to use it. And then mm-hmm. I got rid of it. Mm-hmm. Now, um, man, I, I just thought of something that I, I'm having a hard time remembering what it was I was going to. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I, I know what it is. You talked earlier about boosting, mm-hmm. um, which I do. I boost each and every episode. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, it's kind of hilarious how some of this works. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I don't know if I discussed this with you when we talked about you coming on the show is this show actually is the one area of my life where there, I don't do two things. I don't curse. I, I curse like a sailor usually. Mm-hmm. Um, although it, it has happened on the show. Okay. Um, but I do have people, my, my dad's age, relatives, mm-hmm. you know, in their seventies and eighties who I do not want to turn off and I want to keep them engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they get turned off by that kind of, by that kind of, uh, language. I also, um, Understand how divisive politics can be. Right. I love talking politics mm-hmm. all day, every day. Don't do it on the show. I think you know because it was part of our conversation. Mm-hmm. I think you know you said the words Democrat and Republican a couple mm-hmm. times. I think, in this is my fifty-ninth episode. It's probably been said more in you know a couple of sentences by you than it has in <laughs> fifty-eight <laughs> other episodes. But the interesting thing about boosted episodes was a couple of episodes ago, I inter- uh, interviewed my friend Ted Hopkins, mm-hmm. who's a lieutenant with the United States Capitol Police Department. Mm-hmm. Uh, The interview was about 61 minutes long. Mm -hmm. You did not hear the words Democrat or Republican, Biden or Trump, stop the steal, big lie. Mm -hmm. You didn't hear any of those things. I boosted that episode and we got over 1,100 reactions, Mm -hmm. likes, loves, laughs, whatever, something like 500 comments. And you want to talk about the loons coming out. Um, Mm. people who obviously didn't listen to the episode Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, one of the things I choose when I boost an episode is get more engagement Yeah, because the more engagement you get, the more people are going to see it. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. Um, but another thing that I have run into is people get, and I don't quite understand why people get awfully annoyed seeing sponsored ads in their feed. Mm -hmm. It's not a huge thing. Is that something you've run into? Is that a consideration when you come up with the social media strategy is, Okay, you want visibility and you want people to interact with the post, but are we going to turn people
1: off? I love the story that you just told because there are two different types of um, advertising. So there's boosting a post, right? And then there's adding uh, money to a post or creating an ad from a post. So the only way that an end user is going to get upset or annoyed about seeing a sponsored posts in their timeline is if it's not relevant to them so that's why i always recommend sure boosting's great but i recommend running an ad instead because then you're able to in the process of creating that ad you're able to choose a target audience and be a little bit more choosy about who you're sending this sponsored post to or you're serving this sponsored post to And if you, you don't want to be too choosy because then you're going to kill your, your, your budget. But if you narrow it down just a smidge, then that ad is going to be more relevant to that person. And there's nobody that's going to be, well, there's likely nobody who's going to be annoyed about seeing that post on their timeline. Whereas with a boosted post, you're just boosting to everybody. You're not really um, getting, you're not really narrowing your target audience, right? I usually at Facebook do that. Well, you would hope that they would pick the right people, and they kind of, you know, they just kind of assume.
0: Like- you want to hear an even funnier story? We talked, you know, before again before you went on air about some of the episodes of mine you listened to. The most recent episode with mm-hmm. the black belt lawyer Adam Oki. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because I liked or laughed at at a at a at a meme that I saw somewhere, but you know, Adam Oki is the, is was featured on Vice TV's "I Was a Teenage Felon." Mm-hmm. He grew up in the streets. Mm-hmm. He robbed drug dealers. Mm-hmm. He was a professional fighter, mm-hmm. and now he's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I boosted that post, and I don't think I did anything different than normal, but I think we have over 300 reactions, likes, and loves to that post. 90% of them are gay men. Don't Adam's not gay. He's got a wife and five children. <laughs> there was nothing in the episode that was anything LGBTQ-oriented, but for, for whatever reason, um, and I'm trying to, did I like a joke or did I like a meme that somebody sent? I have no idea. Did I do it from the page's account? Like, That is the absolutely the weirdest thing. And it's funny you mention. again. I'm glad I have you here to pick your brain for free. (laughs) Um, Almost all of my like probably 99% of my boosted posts have been for episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think after season three or season two, I forget about a year and a half ago, I actually took out an ad. Mm -hmm. Basically, and I called it. This is an open casting call. This is the description of my show. Do you have what you think I'm looking for? And I actually got some fantastic guests that way. Now I want to move on, and this may be obvious. You may have even covered some of this, but in the probably ten years you've been doing this professionally,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how has social media changed?
1: I think it's had ebbs and flows. Um, I really like the way things are going now in terms of TikTok. I know you said that you don't spend a whole lot of TikTok uh, a whole lot of time on TikTok, but I would really encourage you 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 do. Um, and make sure that you watch the kind of content that you do like watching. It'll The algorithm is amazing on TikTok. I'll, I'll say that. Um, but I think that it's changing. Social media is changing in a positive way in that TikTok is a major player of showing the world the way that it really is. Whereas Meta, you know, being Facebook and Instagram has more of the connotation of showing you only the nice parts. And we were getting into that topic a little bit earlier. And I did want to touch on that is that how would you differ the strategy between Instagram and TikTok is that for especially for a government official, I would say that TikTok is definitely the place where you can truly be yourself. Yes, you know, sit in front of a camera with some lights, but you know, be yourself on TikTok, people will appreciate that. And this newer this younger generation cuts through the BS right away because they grew up with social media from the moment they were born. So they were indoctrinated in the sense of like, we know what Instagram and Facebook is like, and we don't want that because that's a fake way of living. These Instagram influencers are very, very highly curated. They're very photoshopped. They're very fake. Uh, And Instagram rewards that behavior. The more aesthetic your Instagram looks, the more, you know, on topic, very edited cuts, things like that, they'll promote that. You'll see that on your discover feed right away. Whereas on TikTok, you're going to see a woman, a housewife with her rollers on, but talking about something real. And people will resonate with that more than what they'll see on Instagram with an influencer who's perfectly makeup and has the latest fashion.
0: We, we have so much. You're just kind of opening. We're getting to a point where I'm opening up Pandora's box. <laughs> um, and I want to kind of keep a lot of these things in my head. I do have um, a question about when, it, again, along the lines of using different platforms, mm-hmm. um, you're from Segundo Barrio. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume you speak Spanish. Yes. Yes. Um, we in the borderland have, you know, Anglo-Hispanic populations. How would your message for the same th- point you're trying to get across or the same product you're trying to advertise or the same politician who's running for public office and the message they're trying to send? It, I'm going to assume there will be a difference. Let, let, mm-hmm. Okay, Question number one. Is there a difference between how you market something to English language end users versus Spanish language end users and if that's the case, how might that be different?
1: Oh absolutely. So um at one point in my career I did social media for a a traffic app. I don't think they're around anymore. The name of the app was Metropia. Uh and part of their strategy was to target Spanish speakers that were coming across the border from Juarez because they needed a traffic app, right, to And really anybody in El Paso would want to have a traffic app. This was before Waze was uh, more popular. So I had some ads and I had some content that was in Spanish that targeted people that had a Spanish setting on their social media or that were predominantly Spanish speakers. And then, of course, I had an ad set that was English for English-speaking drivers. And the Spanish ads... Outperformed the English ads vastly, like by three hundred percent. And when you
0: say outperform, I'm assuming you're doing like a a per capita, if you will, Mm -hmm. the number of Spanish speakers versus the number of English speakers. Or is that what you mean? All all other things considered equal, the Spanish language ads performed better.
1: Like the targeting was the same. Okay. Because we can also safely assume that there are plenty of English speakers in Ciudad Juarez. Um, The Targeting was the same. The budget was the same. The creative was the same except for the language, right? So there was a Spanish video and an English video, but they were both the same. They were like um, graphical videos. It wasn't like a talking head video. Um, everything was the same, but one was targeted towards Spanish speakers. One was targeted towards English speakers. And yeah, the Spanish one did outperform. Why? So I would think that there's just more Spanish speakers in El Paso and plus... Uh, I feel like the Spanish one, I think that also it, it's it's a little rare for somebody in Juarez to see an ad that's targeted to them. I think we forget them a lot in the U.S. or in El Paso. We're just focused on you know advertising in our little sphere and we don't- Aren't go- they
0: considered part of the El Paso TV market though for Nielsen ratings? Or are they not?
1: I don't think they are. I don't know about okay. that, honestly. I okay. wish I, I could tell you more about that. But I know that in social media, when you're targeting, even if you, usually things are set up by DMAs. Don't ask me what DMAs okay. for.
0: Okay. Demographic, Paso, something, I don't know. It, maybe, I don't know. Yeah.
1: Um, but El Paso's DMA includes Las Cruces. It does not include Ciudad Juarez. And okay. when you're targeting on Facebook and Instagram, you can target Ciudad Juarez separately from El Paso.
0: You know, I th- actually think I've used that term. I, my 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 father in law was a meteorologist. Uh, his wife uh, uh, was in the the management side of news, uh, and actually has worked worked locally here. I think it was through them I might have used heard that term, having to do with TV markets. Mm-hmm. Now I follow our Las Cruces Mayor Ken Miyagashima, on Facebook, and it was just last week I think he put out a poll wanting to know who still uses um, a Yellow Pages. And oh. I was I was kind of dumbfounded because I'm like. I didn't know those things still existed. Yeah. Now maybe you can answer this and maybe you can't because uh, maybe you may not have been in marketing long enough um, to have covered both eras. But if you can, to the extent that you can, how, how is digital marketing different? And I'm going to assume better than print. Um, You know, the days before, before the internet, before social media, before there's a whole, I would imagine there's a a million times better reach. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, any differences that you can think of between the old style, you know, buying an ad in the in the yellow pages and the mm-hmm. local white pages or mm-hmm. or whatever it is versus mm-hmm. being able to buy something on social media?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful question. So a big part of my life right now is that I also work with iHeartMedia. Um, and I started working with iHeart about a year ago. And iHeart is all about digital media, right? So I am... Well, quote unquote, a marketing specialist, but really that's just an account executive, um, a salesperson, if you will. And so I sell streaming podcast ads. I sell um, digital video. I sell a lot of digital media. But I also had the benefit of working for print media when I was first getting started with this career. Right. Like I mentioned, I was writing for El Paso Times. So I was writing for Fusion Magazine. I was writing for different print um mediums. And some of my clients, one of my Republican clients, as a matter of fact, we had a mix of different types of media that we advertised on. And I think it's really getting to 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 answer your question. It's about first determining who your target audience is, who your real target audience is, and uh, where they hang out, whether it's online or offline. So if you're going to market anything, you really have to get down to the foundations of what it is you're marketing and who you're marketing to, uh, who's buying from you, who's listening to you, who's going to be interested in you. Because if you've got an older demographic, you definitely want to include some print in that, right? Whether it's either an op-ed or, or an ad, you know? And if you've got a younger demographic, like maybe mid-20s, you know, voting age or whatever, you know, you're going to want to be on social media. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I think my, I I think, I'm not sure, my 81-year-old father... Just said he he's going to dis- dis- discontinue his his print subscription mm. to the Washington Post, oh and and that's a you know a, a rapidly disappearing demographic. You know, um, kind of running a little short on time. There are a few more things I wanted to cover um, from my own perspective. I've noticed I didn't start an Instagram. I've had Facebook since two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I started Instagram summer of twenty twenty, I think, mm-hmm. um, right around when I was in pre production of like getting the show going, and. I've noticed probably recently, you know, in addition to doing what I do full time and then doing this, I'm also a commissioner with the New Mexico Athletic Commission. We oversee professional boxing, uh, professional and amateur mixed martial arts and professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. Um, I've noticed and I have a big and always my entire life. I've had a big interest in uh, combat sports. I've been a boxing fan for almost 50 years. Mm -hmm. I've watched the UFC since 1994. Um, I follow a lot of athletes, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of fighters Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of promotions and things like that. What I have noticed is that um, I'm also a big fan of stand-up comedy. So I follow a lot of combat sports athletes and stand-up comics. Almost 90% of the ones that I follow, I follow on Instagram and not Facebook. Yeah. Tell me why that is.
1: Well, because Facebook lowers the reach of those fan pages that you probably have liked, but you just don't see on your feed. Um, And I really think that Facebook, proper, their algorithm just sucks, you know, um, back when I was doing social media for Visit El Paso, I know that our reach was, the standard page reach was about 10 to, between 2 and 10%, meaning that only 2 to 10% of those fan, the the fans for that page are ever going to see any of those posts. And the same can be said now. I mean, I like tons of pages, but I never see any of their posts in my feed. I see sponsored posts, and I see my friends' posts, and I don't even see all my friends' posts. I'll only see, like... I don't know, maybe twenty to thirty percent of them.
0: The ones you interact with most, right? Right. Okay. Right,
1: right. So you actually have to make a concerted effort to go through your friends list and see, oh, I haven't heard from him in a while. Let's see what he's up to. Or go through your friend the the pages that you like and see which ones, hey, I haven't heard or seen anything from them. I'm gonna click on their page and see what they've posted. Whereas on Instagram Um, you know, and there's a lot of changes happening in Instagram, there was a chronological feed before, which people really loved, where it didn't matter who you were friends with or who you added to your page or who you were following, um, you would be able to see all of the posts in a chronological format. Now they've changed the algorithm and continuously change it. So even then, you're not going to see all of the pages and all of the friends that you've liked on or that you're following on Instagram. Um, But the the reach is just going to be so much more, so much less on Facebook than on Instagram.
0: Kind of to keep a little bit along the same, the same track, when it comes to uh, artists,
1: mm-hmm.
0: whether they're, you know, maybe an athlete, but, but artists like comedians, musicians, uh, actors, at what point or at what level um, or, or point in somebody's career does the athlete or the artist give up personal control of their social media accounts and give it over to a manager?
1: Oh, that's a really good question, actually. Um, and so I would say that's a, almost going to be very early on at the point where, like, I'm about to relinquish all kinds of access to to my own social media manager, which I never thought in, in a million years I would have to do. But it just becomes to the point where you just get so busy. Like, I would rather focus on my clients' accounts than ever my account. And I hate being on video. I really do. Um, and...
0: But you didn't say no to me videotaping. So I like that. Thank you.
1: I know. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, but I, I hate being on video because it just never turns out. And I've recorded. I have tons of video that I've recorded. And I'm just like, oh, I hate the way I move my lips. And I hate the way my teeth look. And all I think of that. you're human. Yeah, thanks for that. But, you know, I, I do get really busy. And just like an athlete would get really busy, you know, at some point, they're just going to be like, you know what, this isn't a good use of my time to be posting on my social media because my time is better spent training or better spent with my family or better spent um, learning something new or making money, you know. And even though social media can make you money, obviously, you know, if you're posting um, consecutively, things like that, there's not, there's usually not a hard ROI, especially for Return ROI on investment. Is, okay, thank Risk. you. I apologize about that. Um, there's not a hard return on investment on saying, hey, Ronda Rousey, you created this reel, and that created, I don't know, that created somebody that bought a, fa- a new fan that's purchased a T-shirt. You know, that, it doesn't usually work that way. Unless, of course, Ronda Rousey posts an Instagram reel about her T-shirts and then boosts that and then is able to see how many conversions, which are purchases, Were a result of that particular reel. That's the only way you're going to get that number. So that's my answer is if it's not worth your time in terms of money, hand it over to someone else.
0: I want to wrap up with one, one idea that we touched on before and kind of take it into the future here. You talked about people have noticed that Facebook and especially Instagram are kind of fake. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are showing you the positive sides of their life, the things that they want to show while TikTok is a little bit more real. Mm -hmm. I've kind of had this idea for the last number of years that what, kind of behavior when it comes to politicians, the type of behavior or past behavior and documentation thereof, uh, we see as acceptable is going to change over time Mm -hmm. because I did all my stupid stuff before a cell phone even existed. (laughs) Most of it, not, I still do stupid stuff, but (laughs) you know, all my stupid drinking and the bad behaviors and taking pictures with, with a a booze in my a bottle of beer in my hand or a pint of glass, a a pint of beer. Um, all this stupid stuff happened before social media, Mm -hmm. but as time goes on and the people who are in their twenties and thirties now, uh, who are going to start running for public office, um, they're going to have their whole lives documented. You talked about TikTok being more real, Mm -hmm. um, where do you see what's next for social media? I mean, like we know that there was Facebook and then Instagram and then Snapchat and then, you know, TikTok has kind of taken over when we're talking about the big platforms. Of course, Twitter's in there also. But what's next and how do you see social media in general changing over the next 20 to 30 years?
1: Oh, wow. Um, well, if trends were to show the future. So my son's 18, and he's grown up with social media his whole life. Not that he was on social media his whole life, but I would post about him, things like that. And uh, like I said, Gen Z is a little, a little, le- they, they've they got that that strong BS meter. So I think, and, and of course, you've gone through um, the cancel culture, right? And as I mentioned, social media has gone through ebbs and flows. So what I think is going to happen in the future is that, People are going to be more accepting of people's flaws. Um, sometimes you go through this extreme, like you know, like I said, col- cancel culture. Oh, he's made an off-color joke. Cancel him. Burn his books. All that stuff. I think that this younger generation, that's going to be making these decisions, that's going to be forming the way that social media works. I think they're going to be very realistic about the fact that people make mistakes, and sometimes it's documented, unfortunately, and sometimes we post things that um, we shouldn't be posting in general how how bad is that thing that got posted you know was it straight up offensive like i hate these kind of people or was it an accident i think people will eventually come back to the place of evaluating something for what it really is instead of making large sweeping um what's the word i'm looking for um
0: dismissals
1: right of of a specific person just because of one thing that they did you know and the only reason why is because we're all going to be a part of that system that social media system so it's going to be our new society Uh, a bit like you know the metaverse right um if you're completely digital and you've grown up digital your entire life you can't expect that who you were as a young person in your digital life is going to be the same person that you are in your digital life As an older person, I think people will be a little bit more understanding of that.
0: Well, only time will tell. My guest today has been Christy Couture. Her business is React Republic. How can people find you?
1: You can go to reactrepublic.com. You can follow me on just about every social media network um, at React Republic. But uh, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, that's cool too. And I'm just Christy Couture on LinkedIn
0: well i um believe it or not i I had a lot of hope, high hopes for this interview. I actually enjoyed it more than i belie- i I thought I would <laughs> I learned more than I thought I would, and I think it did a pretty damn good job of doing some ad libbing because we got into some things that, as you can see, you know mm-hmm. you can see i've got my little papers here of the things I wanted to talk about um, uh, We got into some more stuff that I'm yeah. actually proud of myself for actually remembering <laughs> uh, and being able to drive the interview and the conversation uh, in the direction that it went I'm pretty proud of that. Thank you very much for being my guest. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening, uh, to this, I believe 59th episode of the square peg podcast and, uh, stick around. We come at you nowadays, uh, starting as you know, in 2023, uh, no more seasons, but our aim is to come at you once a month, probably the second Tuesday or Wednesday of every month. And, um, we'll see the second or second when Tuesday or Wednesday of this month. (laughs) Bye guys. Later.